Um, good morning, IVCD. Um, my name is Angewi Fett, um, for those who might not know me. Um, I'm one of the elders here at IBCD. Uh, Pastor Jeff is currently um, with, at another IBC church, um, I think Bucharest it is, and um, they're helping the church go through the refresh process, which we also did um, here at IBCD, and um, this Sunday Jeff is also preaching at that church, so we'll have them in prayer. Um, can I have the clicker worship team? Uh, AV team, I don't have the... Thank you. All right, so let's say a word of prayer and we'll begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for your word which comes to us. Father, we pray, O oh God, that your word would take root in our hearts. It's going to transform us and it's going to point us to you. Your word promises, O oh God, that your word which you send out shall not return empty shall accomplish every purpose for which it is sent. May your word accomplish its purposes in our heart today. Be with us, O oh Lord. We lift up also Jeff, Andrea, and their spouses who are right now helping our sister church. We pray, Father, that you would be with them and may they be a blessing to this church and may they themselves be refreshed by being there. Bring them back safely to us as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, unless you've been living under a rock uh, or in space for the past two years, um, and if you have been, good for you, but uh, we all know that it's been a rather difficult time in the world. We have had the COVID pandemic since 2020, and that has dominated the news cycles, the news headlines, and as soon as we thought that was okay, we're going to get a break from that, you know, then comes the war in Ukraine. So it's just like one thing after the next, you know, and when we read scripture, we see that, like wars and rumors of wars, uh, pandemics, famine, and lots of those things. And there's lots of other things also going on around the world, which maybe don't dominate our headlines, but affect people just as much. Everyone who skipped math class in school, you know, got a refresher course this past, past years. We learned about flattening the curve, lengthening the wave, increasing the spread, all kinds of, you know, um, yeah, new terminology and things which maybe you haven't thought of since you did, um, since you left school. The rules seem to be changing constantly from one month to the next, and that can generate a lot of anxiety, a lot of uncertainty. For the people in Ukraine, um, it must be a really difficult time right now, you know, not knowing what the future would bring, when you would be able to ever return to your home, what happens to your home while you're away or for those who are living who don't have a home already because it was blown up, right, with everything you had. It is a time that can be rather difficult and leave us wondering, what comes next? Where do we go from here? In our Christian walk, we are often called by God to walk with him in places of uncertainty, in places where when we look at our circumstances, we have no clue what the next day would bring. And just as Maini was praying, you know, like we know God can do it. But I know like for myself, at least whenever I'm praying for many things, you usually have an idea of how you want God to work it out. You know, when you're praying for something for yourself, you're like, if God, you could do it like this, it would be great. And then there are certain things that you're praying and you look at it and you're just like, 
I don't know how this is going to stop. And it's the same thing even in my country. I come from Cameroon. Right now, there's been, you know, kind of, you know, civil unrest and war for like the past four years. And whenever, it's a really difficult subject for me to pray for myself because whenever I'm praying for it, it's like I can't see how this ends. I know God can work it out and I trust him too, but it's always a difficult prayer. Throughout scripture, we find God calling people to walk with him in places of uncertainty. And a lot of times, God doesn't give details. Right? We find God just saying, trust me, follow me, or I will provide. And that's all they have to go on. About 21 years ago, so this is 2001, my brother, who some of you know, Azinwi, uh, he was a member of this church before he moved, um, left home and was traveling to Germany um, to study. I was the first one of us in our family to travel out, and so we all came to the airport, you know, to send him off. So there was my parents, my siblings, you know, some uncles, some aunts, and cousins. It was a rather big group, and I remember this rather vividly because it was my first time at an airport, you know, so it was, there was some excitement there for me. And we got there, you know, like, growing up actually from... Uh, childhood, all of us were being used to being away from home. This was really not, in a sense, something new for us, because to go to school, schools were not close to home, so we would be away from home for months on end. We would not see our parents that often, and usually during the holidays. But Germany was a different kind of change. This was a different beast, right? It was, it was going out to, you know, a strange country, you know, where, you know, for my, my parents had never been. They were basically sending out their son, to a place which they didn't really know. He was going to be gone for a really long time, and it was not certain when he would be able to come visit. You didn't know when you would see him again. It was a foreign language, a language they couldn't speak. It was a culture they didn't know. It was very far away, so you couldn't just you know, get to him if you wanted to, or he couldn't get to them if he needed support. So as parents, you're sending him out knowing that your ability to support this person is very limited. There was no WhatsApp. Um, there was no video calling like we all have now. And even normal calls were really expensive. They still are for us. He will be on his own in most of the ways that my parents could imagine. And I remember we were there and, you know, like I said, for me, there was... You know, I was just watching it all and like taking it in, also excited being at the airport and just, okay, something is happening. But I remember very much the anguish that my parents were going through in this time of uncertainty for my brother or for them as well. I remember my mom packed so much food in the bag that the wheels came off and we, had, we all made the joke like, what, they don't have food in Germany? Like, <laughs> well, like where is he going? What are we doing? Maybe we should think about this, you know, if that's the situation. Um... I remember my dad the whole time, you know, like asking him, do you have your passport? Do you have your documents, your admission letter? Um, you know, and he's like, yes, yes, I got this, and double-checking and triple-checking. And, you know, you could see the nervousness. You could see the, yeah, some anxiety this generated because it was something new. They bought the thickest jackets they could find, you know, and, you know, put them on him. And so like, I still remember his slender frame, you know, and those big jackets, which anyway are still not warm enough because back in Cameroon, you can't buy anything that's good enough for winter here because we just don't have use for that. But yeah, he had the thickest stuff we could find. 
And so, yeah, he had everything. He checked everything, and, you know, it was all set. It was ready to go. And so he went through the security gates, you know, like we usually do at the airport. And as he would go, we stood there, and he would, you know, every step that he would clear, you know, one security checkpoint, he would turn and wave, and you couldn't really see through. It was not like here where you have glasses, like just small vents in the walls, and he would try to wave through, and we could follow him because, okay, we knew how he was dressed. And so we followed around and waved till, you know, wherever we couldn't see him anymore, and then he went into the gates. Then we climbed up to the observation deck, and, you know, just we identified the plane. There were not that many taking off. And so we sat there and watched. And so we stood, and for me, it was like, wow, you know, it's exciting. <laughs> For my parents, it was, uh, I think, terrifying. We watched the plane, and I remember vividly, you know, the time came, you know, the plane taxied down the, wrong way, the runway, and as the plane was taxiing and getting ready to take off, I remember my mom just praying out, you know, out loud to him, like, more to herself in a way, but out loud so we could hear, and whispering blessings and just praying for him. And the moment the plane accelerated and took off, she broke down in tears. And I still remember standing there and just, you know, just watching, just taking it all in. And I think in that moment, it also hit me, actually, you know, from all the excitement and everything. Like, okay, he's really gone now, and we, I don't know when I'll see him again. My mom was crying. My aunt took her in her arms and was holding her and comforting her. My dad, you know, put on his best stoic face that he could. But he just stood there by her side, and I could tell he was also just overcome with emotion. It was like, it was just quiet. Some of you might be able to relate to that. You know, being IBCD, after all, we come from a lot of places. For others, it's like, eh, it's a trip to another country, no big deal. But for us, for my parents, it was a big deal. It was an unknown journey was an unknown destination. It would be four years before we saw him again. And in that time, all they could do was trust and trust him to God and trust that, you know, God would take care of him. This was an unknown journey. And the same way we see in the Bible, a lot of the heroes in the Bible go through something similar. And in also, almost all of us in various stages of our lives, we experience something similar. We get called to do the seemingly impossible or to work with God in circumstances which are really difficult. And often we don't have a roadmap. We don't have the clear plan of, okay, this is going to happen now, and then the next in two months, this is going to happen. We don't have the milestones. We often just have a follow me, obey me, or walk with me. And many of those people, as we heard in the passage, which Maini read at the beginning of the service, the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, they responded in faith, in trust, and by walking with God, they were able to do great exploits for him. Abraham is one of the most famous examples of this. And it was a very similar situation. Abraham was called by God to go to a land that God would show him and to pack up and leave his family and everything he knew. And he didn't even know where he was going. It was just, follow me. I will tell you where we are going. Travel was hard back then. Communication was hard. And now even when we travel, we have some means of communication. I imagine for Abraham, it must have been you know, 
You say farewell and you hit the road and you don't know if you'll ever find these people again or see them. Abraham obeyed in faith and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. In today's world, we are rather saturated with information. You could pull out your phone from your pocket and basically find out anything you need to know about almost any subject there is. We have the, world, the, uh, the wealth sorry, of um, human knowledge, so to speak, at our fingertips. And I think in a way this contributes to extra anxiety for us, especially in this generation, when we don't know the plan, when we don't know what is going to happen next, because we are so used to having answers. We are so used to being able to find out what we need to know. So how do we deal with this? How do we overcome doubts? How do we overcome questions? How do we overcome places of distrust so that we can walk with God effectively, so that we can grow in our faith? Today we are going to be learning some lessons on how to do this from the ministry of the prophet Elijah. And Elijah is one of the great prophets in the Old Testament, one whose stories I grew up reading and I usually love to reread them. And his ministry starts in 1 Kings 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerith ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. And the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord our God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first Make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry. 
in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Now, background to this passage where we see Elijah's ministry open is, at this point in Israel's history, there's a, the kingdom has been split into the northern kingdom, which was called Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was called Judah. And Israel, the northern kingdom, where this is happening, had had a succession of evil kings, as the Bible tells us, kings who had not done good in the sight of the Lord. They had done evil in God's sight. They had led the people in idolatry. They had um, appointed priests who were corrupt. You know, so basically the land was going its own way. And God would raise prophets to kind of try to bring them back to him. Elijah, just as we see in the opening, comes and proclaims to the king, who is Ahab, at, uh, his king at this time, and tells him, there's not going to be any rain, you know, there's going to be drought in the land for the next couple of years until I say so. Later we find out that this was a period of about three and a half years. So it was a long time for there to be a drought. And after he proclaimed this, the Lord led him to a ravine, so it's, which is kind of like, you know, a small spring where water was flowing and God told him, go there, for I have commanded the ravens to feed you. Right? So Elijah goes in faith. Um, when I was reading this again, you know, and it's a story I'm familiar with, but I was just like thinking, okay, what if someone told you, like, go and birds are going to bring you food? And for me, the first thing that went to my head was like, what kind of food? Right? Like, what are birds going to bring? Are they going to bring like small pieces of bread? You know, like, is it like going to be communion every day or uh, how is it going to be? Is it going to be leftovers from somebody's house? But Elijah went in faith because God had commanded. And surely enough, the birds brought bread and water every morning and evening for Elijah. Elijah was fed and cared for at the brook. But after a while, even this brook dried up. And sometimes we have our life circumstances that are similar. We feel God calls us to a place and we move there in faith. We respond. And then suddenly it feels like it dries up and then we start questioning, but didn't God send me here? I, I thought I heard the voice of God. What, what is happening now? Why is this drying up? But as we learned, this was still all part in God's plan. God had accounted for it. God knew that this was going to happen. God was ahead of Elijah. But God didn't give Elijah this blueprint when he told Elijah to go to the brook. If I were in his place, I would expect that I'm going to stay there indefinitely. I'm going to be cared for and fed. But God didn't tell him what was going to happen each step of the way. All God wanted was Elijah's obedience. Elijah, follow me. And Elijah did. So Elijah was commanded by the Lord to go to Zarephath, where God said, I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. And then again, when I read this, I was thinking, if God tells you that I have directed someone to feed you, to supply you with food, I would expect this to be someone who has enough to provide for themselves and me. I would expect this to be a widow who is well-to-do. I would expect this to be someone you know, who can cover both our needs comfortably because God says he has directed someone to take care of you. And so we respond in faith. And Elijah left and went to... Uh, Zarephath, as we read in verse 10, he says, um, yeah, so he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and please bring me a, 
and bring me please a piece of bread. And she replied, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Not only did the widow not have enough for herself, she didn't have enough for her son either and didn't have enough to provide for the prophet. And so a lot of times in scripture, the Bible tells us, gives us the facts of a story, but doesn't tell us about people's emotions as they received the word of God. It doesn't tell us, you know, those details that you would see if you were writing, I don't know, a novel about something. We just get the facts and we are left to make, what of, it, make of it what we will. For me, when I was reading this, I was, my mind was brought back to the verse where God tells Elijah, I have directed a widow to feed you there. So the word of the Lord has already come to this widow to feed the man of God. So I imagined, how must it have been for her when she looked at her, you know, stock, the kitchen pantry and the flour she had and the oil and said, I don't even have enough. And God is calling me to feed someone else. Basically, we're looking forward to starve and die because we don't have enough to provide for us. God's word had come to her for sure, because we know because God says so. He had directed her to feed him. And yet we can see in this passage that this was a difficult call for the widow. When she saw Elijah, she didn't go, oh yeah, great, this is you, let's, let's do this. She was like, I don't have enough. I have just enough for my son, and after that we are basically going to die. God's call on her life was at a very inconvenient time. And this happens a lot of times for us as well. The times when God calls us to do something, to help someone, to reach out and be a blessing, can sometimes and often be very inconvenient for us. Because often we have our own thing going on. We have our own plans. We have our schedule. You know, we're going to be late. And so when God is interrupting our plans, it can feel very inconvenient. Calling it an inconvenience for the widow, I guess, would even be an understatement. God's call on our lives, and we look at the world nowadays. You know, we hear of you know, our brothers and sisters driving out to the east to pick up people. I imagine for the people in the Ukraine, when this war started, it must have been very inconvenient. And for the people who are called to respond, it also means taking time out of your schedule, taking time out of your daily routine. And not just that, also in areas of service, let's say in the church or in family life, or ministering to your neighbors, shining the light of Christ in the world, often comes at a time when it's maybe not very good for us. The widow said, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little, oil, a little olive oil in a jug. And she's gathering a few sticks to take home, make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And I think God does this to us on purpose because it is only under adversity, under trial, as the Bible tells us in James, that our faith has the chance to grow. When we experience God's provision, when we experience God, even in those times when it's inconvenient, even in those times when it's difficult, then our faith deepens. 
then we go into depths of trust in God that we would not go otherwise if everything was going smoothly for us. Because God seeks for us to grow at some point in our Christian work with him, actually at several, he's going to remove his hand. He's gonna, we're going to feel alone. We're going to feel like it's a difficult time. We're going to feel like we're under pressure. But in that circumstance, we must always remember that it is an opportunity for our faith in God to grow even deeper. For us to learn to trust him in a way that we haven't before. And I find often in my life and from others as I've heard, we kind of go through this, you know, in a spiral that keeps getting deeper. You know, every time we go through something and we're successful in learning a lesson from it or we grow in it, and think, okay, this is done. God just, you know, circles around something else that takes you even deeper, that calls your faith uh, to trust him even more, that calls upon you to lean on God even more than you have ever done before. When you moved to Germany, for those who you know, are not used to being, uh, who are living here before, it might have been a step of faith. It might have been at an inconvenient time. But when God calls us, obedience is our best response. Because when we obey God, in refreshing others, we ourselves are refreshed. The second thing I learned from this scripture is that when the way to respond to God is to bring what we have. A lot of times we get hung up on, I don't have anything to give. Or, I have no skill. I'm not, I can't do anything. But there comes a time in every Christian's work when we must stop, or not stop, but basically redirect our feeling from inward to outward. We start to help others to grow even as we are fed. And usually, yes, uh, when we are new in the faith, we have a lot to learn, and we're digging in, and we are just, everything is new, and it's exciting, and it's great. But a lot of times, you know, there comes a time when we must start giving out as well. And we, I've seen this a lot, especially at church, in the areas of mentoring people. And when we approach people and say, okay, to someone who would like to be mentored, or there's, you know, someone who would like, you know, someone to walk with them in the faith, a lot of times, there's this feeling of inadequacy, right, that comes. And people say, oh, pff, I don't know if I'm up to that. I, I'm not the person. I'm not good enough. Yes, we are not good enough. But God's call to us is to bring what we have. He doesn't expect more of us than he has given us. And the same thing in serving in ministries, the same thing with our time, our resources. You know, we always say, you know, I don't have enough, or I can't do this, or I don't have the time. But we do. And what it takes is for us to stop and take stock of what we have and give it to God. The Bible tells us in Psalm 51 verse 17 that my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, O God, will not despise we must first be willing to sacrifice, to release all that we are and have to God in order to be able to be used by him, in order for him to take that and multiply it. And after bringing what we have to God first, 
the next thing we need to do is to give it out. We bring what we have to God, and then we give it out. When Elijah spoke to the widow, he told her, as we see in the passage, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day of the, the Lord sends rain on the land. Now, reading this, we can actually even, you know, from our point of view of today, look at it and be like, how insensitive of Elijah, right? The widow just told him she doesn't have enough to feed herself and her son. And he doesn't tell her, Go, okay, make food for yourself and your son. And then afterwards, you know, there's going to be leftovers because God is going to provide and then make something for me. He says, no, go and first make for me and then for yourself and your son. The widow was called to act in faith, right? Because what happened if she made big the bread for Elijah, brought it to him, and then the oil didn't pour out? It was going to be a tough evening for her and her son. This was a call for her to step out in faith, to bring what she has to God, to bring her widow's might and put it at the altar and say, God, this is all I have. We must bring what we have to God and then give it out to others because God promises to meet our needs. We see in the, in the song we sang today, there was the message that we must seek first the kingdom of God. And every other thing will be added unto us. When our focus is on Christ, when our focus is on serving God, on following him, then everything else becomes secondary. And then we can put our trust in God and know that when we seek him first, all the other things will be added to us. What is it in your life that you are clinging on to, that you are not willing to release to God? Bring it to him and give it out. The widow went away and did as Elijah told her. And so there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord. Where is it that God is calling you to walk deeper with him? I don't know what it is you're going through. And I don't know where you are in your walk with God. But for all of us, there are, players, there are those places, there are those areas in our lives where God is calling us to come deeper, to trust him, to let go of what we are clinging on to, to let go. Sometimes it is our plans, right? Sometimes it's like, I have my plan. This is what I want to do. This is how I want to serve God. And it's a good plan. But God is calling us to something else. And we don't want to let go of it. We don't want to surrender to him. We make excuses. You know, when we are called to serve God, we say, ah, I'm not ready. It's not a good time. I know, for example, every time we've gone out to do outreach at IBCD, because regularly have around the Easter time or other times in the church where we would go to witness to people in the outstart or in the streets, I remember, I know always feeling this sense of inadequacy. Like, I know I can talk about my faith. I know whom I've believed. But every time I'm going out there, for me, it's always a daunting prospect. 
So it's like, okay, I have to go out there and talk to somebody I don't know about my faith and probably do it in German, which makes it even double hard for me. And then, you know, my mind, the excuses start coming up, like, mm, maybe not this time, you know, we're like, and then we say other things like, ah, faith is a private matter, you know, like, everyone should believe what they want, and you feel the call of God, and you experience this probably at work as well. You see a conversation going in a way that, you know, God is leading you and giving you an opening to share Christ with somebody, and you're like, mm, I'm going to be the nutcase at work who talks about their faith, like, no thanks, I'm going to pass. It's not inconvenient. We're at lunch now. We're, there's a project going on. Like, let's, We'll do it some other time. Maybe when there's a company party and we can talk. We make excuses when God is calling us. But I encourage you to take a step back and refocus on God and not on ourselves. Bring what you have to God. Respond in faith. For some of us, the reason you are sitting here in Dusseldorf, Germany, might be because you have already responded to that call in faith. And I encourage you to keep walking with God and keep trusting him. Maybe you took a step out and you moved out here. And then you got here and then it feels like the brook, the river dried up. God still has you in his plan. Continue to trust him. Continue to obey him and for the next step where he calls you. None of us is a finished product, but we are all on the journey of faith. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Because when we obey God, we grow in our faith. When we serve God, when we serve others, we grow in our sanctification. We grow in our maturity as Christians. And the Bible tells us we must, at some point, Stop eating the baby food and move on to the solid food of the faith. There must be a time when we stop just receiving and when we start in our faith, giving out, being a blessing to other people. Who is it in your environment that you can be a blessing to? Who can you inspire? Who can you encourage? Who can you serve? How are you willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of God? Bring what you have. Give it out. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Respond in faith and trust that God would lead you every step of the way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your promises that you would be with us, that you would walk with us, and that we can trust and rely on you. We pray, O oh God, that when our faith may falter, O oh God, may we be encouraged in you. May we hold firm to the promises. May we be able to pray, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, and take the next step in faith. May your word, O oh God, plant deep in our hearts so that it may bear fruit and so that we may go out and be a light in the world, a light that shines brightly with your love, bringing your message of reconciliation to a world which seems to be drifting even farther and farther away from you. 
Bless us now, O God, and draw us closer to you in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.